started the series uh, some weeks ago on the subject of faith, and we want to continue along with that. We want to uh, remind you of some things that have been said before, but also we want to go a little bit further today, too. So let's start in Romans chapter 12, in verse 3. Paul, speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now you'll notice that in the King James, the, the two words of himself are in italics. Anytime we find words in italics in the, in the King James, it means the translators added them, trying to help us gain greater understanding of what the, uh, the Scripture is trying to get across to us. And, and for the most part, they do a pretty good job and here where they added of himself, I think, uh, I don't think it really takes anything away from the scripture, but it narrows it down more than it should. And by that, I mean, Paul is trying to convey by the Holy Ghost, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Paul is trying to convey that we ought not to think of anything more highly than we ought to think, not just ourselves. Now, the reason for that is in the last part of the verse. For God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. This word dealt means to apportion. It means to bestow. And it means to distribute. And so the Bible is telling us that God has given to each one of us a measure of the faith. Jesus said it was mountain-moving faith. He said we could speak to mountains in faith and they would move. Now, I don't think he's really talking specifically about changing the geography or the topography of the earth. But the mountains are the problems and the situations that we face that seem to, seem to be bigger than ourselves. And so Jesus said that we could use that faith to change things in our lives. Faith changes things. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, it says faith is what God used to create the world's. So this faith that God has dealt a measure to each one of us, this faith is not only mountain-moving faith, but it's the faith that created the worlds in the beginning. Now the Bible talks about faith in different uh, ways. It talks about great faith and little faith. It talks about strong faith and weak faith. It talks about unfeigned faith. It talks about increasing faith. So the measure that is given to us can grow and should. So we want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning as we remind you again of some things that we've covered before. Look with me in, in uh, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Let's start in verse 3. He said, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the, unto the Lord, increase our faith. Now, folks, I want you to recognize something. This is the only place in the Bible or in the New Testament. It's the only place where someone came to Jesus and asked for more faith. 
Now, the reason that that's instructive to us is because so many times people have the idea or think of themselves that they don't have enough faith. And certainly that's the thing that the devil tries to tell us, each one of us. When we're facing a crisis, we're facing something that we need God's help. The Bible tells us that faith is the only way to receive and take hold of the things that God has done for us. It's the way we take hold of salvation, meaning the forgiveness of sins. It's the way that we enter into the new birth. But it's also the way that we receive anything and everything else from God. And so the devil, whenever you step out in faith, the devil is quick to tell you, you don't have enough faith. But this is the only place where somebody came to Jesus and said they need more faith. And notice what Jesus said. Notice how he responds. They said, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, that's the smallest seed there is, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted into the sea, and it should obey you. Now, the word might there is the word would. He says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say to the problem, say to the sycamine tree, which represents the problem. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, the smallest amount of faith speaks. The smallest amount of faith speaks. And in this regard, Jesus is saying to them, you don't need more faith. You need to use the faith that you have. Now, he said this about the smallest measure, the smallest amount of faith that we could imagine. I wonder if that's how that relates to the faith that God deals to every man. The measure of faith. I wonder if that measure of faith that God appoints unto us or bestows upon us or distributes to us. I wonder if that faith is more than a grain of mustard seed. Well, even if it's not, Jesus tells us what faith will do. What faith will do. He said faith speaks to the problem. Faith speaks to the problem. Now, let's look at a couple of examples of this. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We'll start in verse 25. It says, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all she had, and was nothing better but rather grew worse, when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? In other words, the disciples are saying, Everybody's trying to touch you. Everybody's crowding around you and pushing on you to, to make contact. But Jesus looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Verse 34, And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now Jesus didn't say that the power of God healed her. We know that it did. We know that when she reached out and touched Jesus, something happened. There was power that Jesus felt go out of him. And she felt the power go into her and heal her body. But Jesus credits her faith. He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Isn't that interesting that he didn't credit 
or emphasize the power of God that was on him. He didn't turn around and say, well, at least this lady found out I'm the son of God. Now, folks, think of something else in regard to this. When the disciples said, that, Master, thou seest the multitude thronging thee. She's certainly not the only one that's touching him. But she's the only one that gets any results from touching him. And that's what Jesus is crediting to her faith. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Well, remember what she did. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind, for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. That was her faith speaking then. What she said was her faith speaking. When Jesus hears the story and he says, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Her faith said, If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Her faith said, If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. She took what faith she had. And we know where she got it. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. This passage of scripture confirms that when she heard of Jesus. Well, she must have heard of Jesus healing the sick. She must have heard that people were being healed in their bodies. She must have also heard that people were being healed by touching or contacting him or at least touching his clothes. Otherwise, she wouldn't have had faith to receive healing by touching him or his clothes. She had to have heard something like that. Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If she heard that people were being healed by Jesus pronouncing healing to the multitude, she wouldn't have had faith to be healed by touching him. See, faith produces after its own kind. When she heard of Jesus... She had to have heard that he was healing the sick, either through physical touch or even that people were touching the hem of his garment. Matthew 14 tells us about another crowd, that as many of, uh, of the multitude that touched his garment, they were made whole. Maybe that's what she heard. But whatever it was that she heard, she took it and applied it to herself. I think so often people hear testimonies of other folks that have been healed or received some blessing or God has done something great for them. And they just let it go over their heads and think, well, isn't that a great thing that he did for them? Rather than understanding that any and everything God does for one, he will do for another. Because he is no respecter of persons. Now, folks, I think we have to ask the question, why is this multitude thronging Jesus to touch him? When the disciples identify the impossibility or the impossible nature of finding out just one person that touched Jesus because everybody is touching him. Why didn't they get anything? See, it wasn't the physical touch of Jesus alone that brings about healing or deliverance. It has to be mixed with faith. You've got to mix faith with it. So the measure of faith that this woman had, whatever that was, the measure of faith that came by hearing of Jesus, she took it personally. She applied it to herself. And she began to say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Now I want you to look at another example with me. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, it says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, 
and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. Then the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou should come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. Since he was a centurion, he had a hundred soldiers under him. And he said, I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come down from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed. Notice he credits his faith. As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in that selfsame hour. Now here's an example where Jesus identifies Someone is having great faith. Great faith. What made this centurion's faith great? He understood that spoken, the spoken word was the means of exercising authority. His understanding of authority. What was his understanding of authority? When I speak to those under me, they do what I tell them to do. Jesus is recognized by this centurion as having authority over sickness and disease. So he says, just speak to it. And just like those under my authority, when I tell them to do something, they do it. When you use your words and speak to the sickness and command it to go or speak healing for my servant, that sickness will obey you. That body will amend, even as you say. And Jesus called that great faith. Now, notice Jesus is willing to come and heal his servant. He says, I will come and heal him. But the centurion says, that's not necessary. You don't have to take your time and come to my house. This is not a matter of physical touch. This is not a matter of close proximity. Just speak the word. See, folks, faith speaks. Faith speaks. We see his understanding of Jesus' authority over sickness and disease and says, all you have to do is give the command, and that sickness and disease will leave my servant's body. But he also recognizes the authority and the way that authority is exercised. Now, folks, the Bible says in Genesis 126 that God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness, and let them have authority or dominion over all the works of our hands. He gave man authority. Now, we know that things changed when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. But I think we're too quick to assume that man lost his authority here on the earth when that took place. But he didn't. Man still has authority. It was God's original plan. God never changes, so his plan never changes. So man is the one with authority here on the earth. God's not the one in control of everything. He gave that authority to man with instructions to use that authority to bring about the will of God the Father. So this man, this centurion, recognizes that man has authority, particularly that Jesus has authority in this case. And his understanding of that authority keeps Jesus from having to walk the distance to his house, keeps him from having to touch him physically, 
to affect a healing and a cure in the servant's body. And Jesus says that's great faith. The understanding that faith is exercised by words, that authority is exercised by words, Jesus calls that great faith. Great faith. Now I want you to look at another example with me. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. We'll start in verse 17. This is talking about Abraham. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Folks, I think the understanding of verse 17 is critical for us to grow in faith and to follow the example of Abraham, who is the father of our faith. This is referring back to Genesis chapter 15, when God speaks to Abraham and tells him to look up into the sky, the nighttime sky. He says, now number the stars that you can see in the sky. Well, of course, that's impossible, and that's the point that God's trying to make. So Abraham says in Genesis 15, I can't. There's no way to number them. But God says to him, so shall your seed be. As the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore, so shall thy seed be. And so here where it talks about Abraham, God spoke to him and said, I have made thee the father of many nations. At the time that God said that to him, he was about 99 years old, pushing 100. Sarah, his wife, was getting close to 90 years old. Their child-producing years had passed them by. And so when God said to him, I have made thee the father of many nations, he didn't have any son other than the one that was born by Hagar. Ishmael was his name. And that was the result of Abraham and Sarah trying to make things that God promised them come to pass in their own strength. And that never works out well. The reason that, that there's enmity and conflict even to this day between the Arabs and the Jews goes back to Ishmael and Isaac. And Ishmael was the product of Abraham and Sarah trying to bring the word of God, trying to bring the promise of God to pass in their own strength. Well, they succeeded in having a child. But that's not the way God had it planned. And so when God says to Abraham, I have made thee the father of many nations, he just has this one child that was born from conflict. And notice here in verse 17, God said, I have made thee a father of many nations. One of the things that's interesting and important for us to understand is that God always speaks in the past tense regarding the promises that he's made unto us. He speaks in the past tense. Now, we know when he first appears to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says, if you'll follow me and obey where I tell you to go, I will bless you. Proverbs says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. And just one chapter later, it says, Abraham was very rich in silver and cattle and gold. So God made that promise good pretty quickly. So he says, I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now, making thy name great means children. Now, he's 75 years old when God first appears to him. And he promises him, one of the things he promises him 
was that he'll be the father of many nations. He'll have seed that's innumerable. But when God speaks to him 25 years later, almost 25 years later, he says, I have made thee the father of many nations. I have made thee the father of many nations. Now here in the rest of verse 17, notice it says, before him whom he believed. That word before literally means from the Greek, it literally means like unto him. So it's saying that Abraham imitated God. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that we're supposed to be imitators of God too. Well, it tells us how God, how Abraham imitated God. Like unto God, who calleth things that be not as though they were. The example of that has just been identified. I have made thee the father of many nations. God, God is speaking things that are calling things that be not as though they were. He's saying it's already accomplished. God is saying it's already accomplished. Now, from the natural eye, it certainly has not been accomplished. According to the things that he could see and feel, it hasn't been accomplished. But, folks, there's a lot of things that are more real and more important than what we can see in this physical realm. So God said to Abraham, I have made thee the father of many nations. He's calling things that be not as though they were. And he even changed Abraham's name to mean father of many nations. His name was first Abram, and then God changes it to Abraham. The difference between Abraham and Abram, the two names, are the letters that refer to God himself. So when he, adds, when he changes Abraham's name, he adds himself to his name. So that every time Abraham uses the new name, every time Sarah calls him by his name, new name Abraham, He's calling himself, and he's being called the father of many nations. So here Abraham is, is identifying with God or imitating God by calling things that be not as though they were. In other words, his faith, that which becomes the example of faith for the rest of the world throughout all time, is an example of what Abraham said or how he changed what he said to agree with what God said. So before him whom he believed, or like unto him whom he believed, here's how he imitated God. He called those things which be not as though they were. And then the second part is, God quickens the dead. Now here's a great job description for God. God does two things. He makes dead things alive. And he calls things that be not as though they were. He makes dead things alive, or brings life to the death that we see in our lives. And he calls things that be not as though they were. Abraham imitated God in this respect. Now, how in the world do you imitate God in that respect? How do you imitate God who quickens the dead? He had to. Abraham had to speak life into his body. And every time he's saying what God said, he's speaking life to his body. Now, we don't know if we could take that literally. We don't know that Abraham got up every morning and said, body, you're life, you're alive not dead. We don't know if he's speaking to his body consistently or constantly, daily, and calling life or speaking life to his body. But we do know that every time he uses the name that God gave him, which means father of many nations, he has to be speaking life to his body because his body physically is beyond its reproductive ability. Same thing's true for Sarah. 
So every time they called themselves by the new name, God gave Sarah a new name too, meaning mother of a multitude. Every time they're using the names that God gave them, every time they confess of themselves what God said about them, they're speaking life to their bodies. They're speaking change to their circumstance. Folks, faith speaks. Faith speaks. Faith always speaks. So as it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Now the rest of the, the scriptures here in this passage that tell us about Abraham's faith. Very simply identify how he maintained his faith. In the face of circumstances that disagreed with what God said. In the face of circumstances that contradicted what God said. But they're all encapsulated. They're all included in Abraham imitating God in these two areas or respects. By speaking life to that which is dead and calling things that be not as though they were. Abraham had no natural hope. He had no physical evidence whatsoever. To agree with what God said about him. Again God said so shall your seed be. As the stars of the sky. Because I've made thee the father of many nations. He had no hope. He had no physical hope. There was nothing about his life that he could see or feel or touch. That said oh yeah here's how it's going to work. Everything about his circumstances. And his wife's circumstances. In this respect. In this regard. Everything about it contradicted what God said. Everything. And I remember the definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if there's no hope, there's no basis for faith. But if Abraham didn't have any hope in his physical condition or in his natural circumstances or in the physical realm that surrounded them, if he had no hope for, for as a basis of his faith to come from the physical realm, where did he get the hope to put his faith in? Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. Where did he get the hope as a basis for his faith? According to that which was spoken. So shall your seed be. Folks, that verse of scripture is just simply saying Abraham had nothing to go on except what God said. Absolutely nothing to go on except what God said. He is completely and utterly hopeless as pertaining to circumstances and, and conditions of his body. Absolutely nothing to go on. Folks, I believe that that's the reason that God waited so long to bring this promise to pass. If it had not been an impossible situation, if it had not been an impossible circumstance, if Abraham started having children right after God appeared to him at age 75, then it would have been real easy to question, was this really God? Is this really the work of God that brought about this child? But the fact that God waited so long, waited till the point in time in Abraham and Sarah's lives where it was impossible for them to bear children, have and bear children, then it had to be God's power that did it. So Abraham had nothing to go on except simply what God said. Verse 19, and being not weak in faith, 
He considered now his own, not his own body, now dead. When he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. I want you to notice that. Being not weak in faith. Being not weak in faith. Being not weak in faith. It does not say that God gave him such a strong measure of faith that it had to come to pass. See, being weak in faith is a choice. Being strong in faith is a choice. When God said to Abraham, so shall your seed be, again referring to the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. When God said, so shall thy seed be, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. It deposited faith in Abraham to believe for children, just like it deposits faith in us when we hear of Jesus. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Paul goes into a great detail in Romans chapter 10. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's Romans chapter 10, beginning about verse 8. Where he says what, how faith operates. Faith believes and speaks with its heart. Believes in its heart and speaks with the mouth. He's talking about that it's impossible to believe without faith. And you can't have faith without hearing the word. So when Abraham heard this word from God, it deposited faith in him. Just like when you hear that Jesus took your infirmities and bare your sicknesses, it deposits faith in our hearts for healing. The word always does its job if we receive it and accept it. So Abraham made a choice to not be weak in faith. Now what was the way that he would have been weak in faith? By considering his body or considering Sarah's body. Considering the conditions of Sarah's body. Considering the conditions that was evident in their lives. The circumstances of their life. Now he didn't deny that it was the case. He didn't go around confessing my body's not 100 years old. My body's not 100 years old. My body's not 100 years old. Deny the circumstances. Faith just says there's something greater to consider. So Abraham, making the choice to not be weak in faith, considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God. In other words, he's not looking at his body to determine what he believed and the sand on the seashore. He staggered not, he wavered not at the promise of God. He didn't allow the circumstances that he could see and feel in his body to turn him away from the truth of God's word. So he staggered not. He wavered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. Now, what does strong faith look like? See, I think a lot of times we get the idea that strong faith is the feeling that something's going to happen. The feeling that God's going to honor his word. But remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Instead of not seen, we could put not felt. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things that you can't feel. The evidence of things that the circumstances of your body can't make you feel. Faith deals with the unseen realm. Not the seen realm. Faith, in Abraham's case, faith dealt with the promise of God concerning the child to come. And not the deadness of, his, of Sarah's womb or the impotence in his own body. Well, if we're not going to be weak in faith, 
because we choose to be strong in faith, what does strong faith look like? Well, it says there's two characteristics of Abraham's faith. He was strong in faith, number one, giving glory to God, thanking God for the answer before he could see the answer. And secondly, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. He was able also to perform. Now, folks, this passage of Scripture concerning Abraham, the identification of Abraham's faith that we're supposed to follow, shows us the foundation of what he believed, which was the Word of God. And it tells us the action that he took. The action that he took. He called things that be not as though they were, and he spoke life unto his body. And as a result... He was in a position to praise God for the answer before he could see the answer. And he became fully persuaded by looking under the promise of God, by reminding himself, by saying what the promise of God was over and over and over again, by calling himself the father of a multitude, or the father of many nations, and calling Sarah by the name that means the the mother of a multitude. By saying those things, by speaking those words, it kept him steady. It kept him from wavering or staggering from the promise of God. Now, I want you to look with me to another example over in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8, is talking about Paul's first missionary journey. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak. Now, remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. I should have started in verse 7, which says there they preached the gospel. Notice what the gospel that Paul preached looked like. In order for this man to have faith to be healed, he had to have heard Paul speak about Jesus, something about Jesus regarding healing. If Paul was preaching on water baptism, he wouldn't have had faith to get healed. If Paul was preaching just about the forgiveness of sins, then this crippled man, along with everybody else that heard, would have had faith to have their sins forgiven, but not to be healed in body. So the very fact that the man had faith to be healed, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, must mean that Paul preached on healing, the healing work of Jesus, along with whatever else he said. And the Holy Ghost calls that the gospel. When my kids were, uh, when Adam was, I think it was fourth grade, there was a, um, a school trip that they took to Sacramento to visit the state capitol. And I was uh, a chaperone on the trip. And so there was a guy, there was a, um, I was in charge of or responsible for a group of kids I think there were four in the group that they gave us. And one night we were at the, uh, the hotel, and there was a center court with a, a swimming pool. And so all the kids are in the swimming pool. They're having fun and stuff. And so the parents are sitting on the side. The chaperones are sitting on the side. And there was a guy that was sitting there uh, in a little lawn chair thing next to me. And we got to talking. He asked what I did. And I told him I was a pastor of a church. And my kids went to Christian school, so you wouldn't think that would put somebody off. But you might be surprised. 
But anyway, this guy started talking to me about what our church believes, what we believe, what I preached, and so forth. And uh, I found out from him that he got saved as a result of seeing the power of God operate in a, in a church service. And so I thought when I heard that, I thought he would be a little bit more open than other people might be to the truth of what we believe and standing on the word in faith and so forth. So when I asked him, so where do you go to church? He told me. He asked me what we believe, and I told him. And then he said this. He said, well, the church that I go to has decided to just preach the gospel instead of all that other stuff. So I smiled and said, you mean the gospel like in Acts 14? Well, he had no clue what Acts 14 said. So I quoted to him these scriptures that we just read. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man, impotent man at Lystra, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who, steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said unto him with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. I said, You mean that gospel? Now, folks, the Holy Ghost calls that the gospel. The good news of Jesus has to include healing or else the Holy Ghost lied to us. But now let's take this apart a little bit. We see clearly where the man got faith to be healed. He heard Paul preach. And whatever Paul preached had to include healing, as we just mentioned. And the Holy Ghost calls that the gospel. But I want you to understand, this man had faith to be healed before he was healed. Notice that Paul steadfastly beholding him perceived that he had faith to be healed. Well, at the time that Paul perceived that the man had faith to be healed, he was not healed. He's still lying there on the ground crippled when Paul perceives that he has faith to be healed. Again, we know where he got the faith. He got it from what Paul preached. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But Paul understood something that this man didn't know. And that is, it's not enough just to have faith for something. You've got to exercise it. You've got to put it into practice. You've got to act on it. So Paul prompted the man to act on his faith. He said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And, when the and he leaped and walked. The man stood up and leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they started ascribing godly uh, Greek god deity names to Paul and Barnabas. And they had to stop them. It was all they could do to keep the people from offering sacrifices unto them. But folks, God's a god of order. I was, uh, I was praying a couple of weeks ago, and out of the blue, the Holy Ghost said to me that God is the God of systems. God is the God of systems. Now, we don't want to take the time to go back and look, but there are things about the Genesis creation account that I'm going to take for granted that you know. For example, when the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, 
Genesis 1-2 says, And the earth was or became without form and void. We know that it must have become without form and void because the Bible says in Isaiah 45 that God didn't create the world that way. So it says, Darkness moved upon the face of the deep. The Holy Spirit was moving upon the waters. But nothing, had, nothing happened, nothing changed until God said something. Now the Holy Ghost is the power of God, isn't he? There's unlimited power, unlimited potential for what would be done. But the Holy Ghost doesn't move until God spoke. Now if God made us in his image and after his likeness, then we would have to conclude that the Holy Ghost doesn't move upon us or in our lives until we speak either. Otherwise, it would be different. God would have made us differently than he did. But, without, but being made in the image of God after his likeness means we're an exact copy or an exact duplicate of God in that respect. So the power of the Holy Ghost doesn't move in us or for us until we speak. Faith speaks. The reason that faith speaks is because it's the system that God established. Well, the first thing God did is said, let there be light. And there was light. And it says he divided the light from the darkness and made the light day and the darkness night. But folks, that's the first day of creation. It's not till day four that the sun and the moon are made along with the stars. Light was not a function of the creation of the sun. Light was a function or a result of God saying, let there be light. Now, when God did place the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky, he said, let there be a sun to rule over the daytime and the moon to rule over the nighttime. Well, there's a lot of things about the placement of the sun and the moon that are critical to sustain life here on this earth. If the sun was further away from us, it would not sustain life. The coldness of the planet wouldn't sustain life. If the moon wasn't where it was and the size that it is, then the seas and the waves and the tides would not contribute to man's existence. But instead, the oceans would be such that would be uninhabitable or create an uninhabitable condition for the earth. Now, there's a lot of similarities or a lot of uh, um, examples, illustrations that the sun and the moon hold for us. The sun being like God, who's full of power. There are always solar flares taking place and the, the temperature of the sun and all those types of things. Science has not yet even begun to, to tap into all the intricacies and the details about this stuff. The moon, on the other hand, which represents the ruler of the darkness, is a dead rock. Folks, Satan is a dead rock in your life. And the only glory that the, that the moon has is the reflection of the sun. It has no light in and of itself. But one of the things that intrigues me most about the placement of the sun and the moon they're not the same size. The sun is 400 times bigger than the moon. But the moon is 400 times closer to the earth than the sun is. 
And so the earth is the only place in the universe where the sun and the moon look to be the same size. But the sun and the moon are not the same size. God and the devil are not equals. The devil may seem to be closer to us because of the way he works in, our, in the circumstances of our lives. But folks, there is no contest to the power between the sun and the moon. Just like there's no contest between the power of God and the devil. Now when God said let, the, let there be a, a sun and the moon, a sun to rule the day and a moon to rule the night. There are all kinds of things that we just mentioned concerning placement, size, scope, and the whole thing regarding the sun and the moon. God didn't say every little detail about the sun and about the moon. He just put them where they would go to provide life for the planet. In the same way that God is the system, God is the God of the system of the sun and the moon. God is the God of the system of faith. I know one of the things that gets people all twisted up when they're trying to believe God for healing, for example, is they get concerned. The devil brings thoughts to their mind, tries to bring the worry to their mind about what if you haven't confessed everything you need to confess about your healing. And it's real easy to get detailed or try to get detailed in things. And the devil wants to make you afraid that you haven't covered every little thing. But folks, God has a system of faith. That system of faith is when we receive the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When we receive the word of God concerning healing. And we put our faith out to take hold of and to receive healing for our bodies. That healing encompasses every part of the flesh of man. Remember in Proverbs chapter 4 verses 20 through 22 it says, My son attend unto my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Verse 22 says, For they, my words, are life unto those that find them. There's a discovery process to faith. There's a discovery process to speaking the word. They are life unto, my, unto those that find them. And health to all their flesh. To all their flesh. To all their flesh. You don't have to have every little detail covered when you're standing on God's word, when you're standing on the promises of God. That certainly had to be true where Abraham was concerned. Abraham didn't have the medical knowledge to know how his body needed to change to have a child. Same thing's true with Sarah's body. What did they believe in? Did they believe in every little detail and every little nuance? intricacy of how the body has to operate in order to provide for reproduction all he had to know is God said so shall your seed be so shall your seed be so we saw the woman with the issue of blood did she know what the cause of the issue of blood was well apparently not she spent all of her living on doctors and they couldn't help her But what did she say? If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Jesus said that was her faith speaking. Faith speaks. 
Folks, if you want more faith, there's two things that we have to do. One is we have to feed ourselves on the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. And then we have to act on what we have. It wouldn't do any good at all for any of us to build our faith to incredibly high levels by feeding on God's Word if we never exercised it. That'd be like assuming that every, the biggest person is the strongest person. Some people are strong because they work out and they exercise their muscles. Other people are big because they just eat. <laughs> now, if we put that in the context of faith, great faith isn't the biggest in faith. Great faith is the faith that feeds on the Word of God, feeds on the right things, and then exercises what they have to build their strength. That's what Abraham did. That's what calling things that be not as though they were and quickening the dead, speaking life to his body, that's why that's so important. So when Jesus is faced with the first time, the only time in the Gospels that somebody comes and asks for more faith, Jesus just simply says, use what you've got by speaking. Use what you've got by speaking. It has to be exercised, as Acts 14 just showed us. It has to be exercised. Now turn with me to Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, to Mark chapter 11. And let's see something else that Jesus said here about faith. Mark chapter 11, Jesus has gone to Jerusalem. It's just a few days before he goes to the cross. He passes by a fig tree on his way to Bethany, which is just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. And there's no figs on it. it. It looks like it should have figs because there are leaves. But it doesn't have any figs on it. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. He says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the next day they came by that same way going back to Jerusalem. And the disciples saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Verse 21, and Peter calling to remembrance said unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Yes, Peter, now do you believe that I'm the Son of God? Or does Jesus say, yeah, Peter, this worked or this happened because I'm the Son of God, but don't you try this? Jesus responded and said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. He gives instruction concerning faith. He doesn't say anything about him being the son of God, so it worked for him, but it wouldn't work for somebody else. He doesn't credit anything, credit it to anything whatsoever except faith. And he says, have faith in God. Now, other translations, the original translation from the Greek could mean other things as well. It could mean have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. And we coin from that phrase, Another little phrase, have the God kind of faith. Well, what kind of faith would God have other than the God kind? And then he explains to him how it works. He explains to him what the God kind of faith works. Now, the God kind of faith has to be the same faith as the measure that he deals to us. 
Remember Romans 12, 3 says, God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Well, the measure of what faith? It's got to be the measure of the God kind of faith. How could God give us any kind of faith other than the God kind of faith? What other kind of faith would God have other than the God kind? So the measure of faith is the God kind of faith. And Jesus tells us how the God kind of faith operates. He says, Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say. Notice that word whosoever. Whosoever means everybody, doesn't it? Now, we believe that whosoever of John 3.16 belongs to everybody and includes everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have eternal life. That whosoever means everybody, doesn't it? Well, if the whosoever of John 3.16 means everybody, then the whosoever of Mark 11.23 has to mean everybody too. So Jesus says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. First thing Jesus identifies about faith is that it speaks. Well, isn't that what he told his disciples in Luke 17? They said, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus said, if you have faith in any measure, even the smallest measure, you'll say. If you have faith in any measure whatsoever, you'll speak. Because faith doesn't work unless it's spoken. So Jesus says, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So Jesus tells us first and foremost, the God kind of faith believes in the heart and speaks with the mouth. He went on to tell us how faith works in prayer. He went to tell us, how the prayer of faith operates. Therefore I say unto you, verse 24, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. The prayer of faith believes it receives when it prays. The prayer of faith always says that the answer is mine because I've asked God and he heard me. Jesus says in verse 25, but when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your heavenly Father may forgive you your trespasses. He's faithful to warn us of the number one hindrance of faith working. The number one hindrance that keeps faith from working for many people is unforgiveness. So you've got to walk in love if you're going to operate in faith. Now notice verse 23 again. Notice what Jesus says. Whosoever shall say, Unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. I want you to notice a relationship here. Three times the word say is used in relation to and reference to the believer. And believe is used only once. Let's count them up. Therefore I say unto you, this first one doesn't count because it's Jesus talking. Therefore, I say unto you, whosoever shall say, there's one time for say, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe. We got one believe and one say. But shall believe that those things which he saith, there's a second say in some form. Believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. 
you've got say in, in some form relative to the believer three times in that verse where believe is only once. Now, folks, of all the sermons that you've heard of faith outside of here at this church, how many of them deal with the things that you say as opposed to what you believe? See, most everybody tackles the subject of faith in some way or another, if nothing more than the, in Ephesians 2, verse 8, where it talks about, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Faith is spoken of and, and considered regularly by the church concerning the new birth of the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus is saying that faith can operate in every area. And he emphasizes saying three times and believing only once. Folks, the reality is you've got to focus on the saying three times more than you do the believing for people to get results. Faith is an easy thing to get. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. All you have to do is meditate on the promise of God. Hear the word of God for a little bit. And then you have faith for whatever that word promises. But the real issue is not the believing part. The real issue is the speaking part. See, the fight of faith is not to keep believing. The fight of faith is to not change your words. Paul wrote to the church in the book of Hebrews and says, Hold fast the profession of your faith. That word profession means speech. It's also translated confession. Why would we have to hold fast the profession or confession of our faith? Why, should, why would we have to hold fast to what we say about God's word? Why would we have to hold fast to the things that we're confessing? Because that's where the devil attacks you. The devil doesn't attack you so much on what you believe. You can identify what you believe by what the word says. If he brings thoughts of doubt to your mind about what God is or who he is or what he will do, all we have to do is go to the word and find out the answer. So that's not his major means of attack. The biggest area of attack that the devil brings against each one of us has to do with the things that we say. So many Christians are turned away from the truth, turned away from receiving the blessings of God because they listen to the devil tell them that they're lying when they call things that be not as though they were. You start confessing healing in the face of sickness and disease and the devil will say, now you know you're not telling the truth. Here you are calling yourself healed by the stripes of Jesus and you can clearly see that you're not well. He tries to get us looking at our circumstances. Remember, faith is the evidence of things not seen. So the devil doesn't want you to consider and think about and focus on the things you can't see. He wants you to focus on the things you can see. Because if he can get you talking contrary to God's word because of your circumstance, he can rob you of the blessing Jesus has already obtained for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus emphasized the word part. He emphasized the speaking part. Let me show you one last scripture. We'll close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writing to the church. Said in verse 13, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. 
the measure of faith that is dealt to us, the measure of faith that is apportioned to us, bestowed upon us, distributed to us, that measure of faith, measure of the God kind of faith, the faith, the same faith that created the worlds in the beginning, that faith operates just with us as it did and does with God. God by faith said, let there be light, and there was light. Ten times in Genesis 1, the creation account, it tells us that God said something and it was. He made us in his own image after his own likeness to operate the same way with the same spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak. Just like God spoke and the characteristics of this earth came into being, we are instructed to speak according to the faith that comes by hearing God's word. And we have, we wind up having what Jesus said, you shall have whatsoever you say. Folks, if you don't like what you've got, check up on what you're saying. Because what you and I have today is a function of what we said yesterday. And when I say yesterday, I don't mean the 24 hours of yesterday. I mean what we've been saying is what we wind up having. It works positively and it works negatively. If you say you're sick, if you say you always get sick, you'll always get sick. If you say you're healed, you're healed by the stripes of Jesus and won't say anything to the contrary to that, you will wind up with healing and health because of the price that Jesus paid for you and me. You do have and you will have whatsoever you say. Faith always speaks let's pray father thank you so much for your word thank you that you are the god of faith we are faith children of a faith god created in your likeness and in your image with authority here on the earth so we say that we are children of god we say that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We say that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. We say that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. So you have blessed us in all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We say what your word says, Father, because we believe that what we say will come to pass. Thank you, Father seeing it to fruition thank you Jesus for being the author and the finisher of our faith in Jesus name amen amen let's all stand don't forget about food court Sunday people start making their way down there right away I'm sure come on back and be with us tonight for healing school if you can God bless you have a great day